As we look at chapter 11, we're beginning some of these really interesting chapters here in the latter part of the book of 1 Corinthians, and so we're, we're kind of closing in on a couple of these problem chapters, uh, if you will, where the Apostle Paul says some things that in our culture, people kind of freak out over. They, they look at it and it's like, man, I don't know if I, I really believe that or not. And so I hope tonight we can kind of uh, cover one of these difficult chapters But it begins in a very, very wonderful way with verse 1 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it says, imitate me also as I imitate Christ. That, in essence, is the sum and the total of what we've been called to do while we're here on this earth. We're to imitate Christ. His doctrine, his gospel... His life, his living, his holiness, his sanctity. If you could just say one thing about Christian living, imitate Christ. You'll never go wrong doing that. And so the Apostle Paul begins that way. And would you join me? We'll pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. And we pray that as we unpack these verses, that God, you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he begins in verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep traditions just as I delivered them to you. You see, the Apostle Paul could actually talk about his own walk with the Lord and say, when I shared things with you, I was sharing truth. One of the problems that we have in our world, especially with the church in the world today, is that the church is abandoning biblical truth. They're walking away from a solid exegesis of the scriptures. In other words, they're not speaking what the scriptures themselves say. Excuse me, it's going to be one of those nights. As you can tell, I've got a little bit of a cold. I'm going to try not to cough. We'll see what happens. But as the Lord spoke through the Apostle Paul, what he was really speaking to the church is, if the Lord Jesus was here speaking to you on these subject matters, this is the things he would say. The scripture, in fact, points always back to Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul wasn't making up his own word. He was speaking what God had spoken to him. (coughs) Excuse me. That one was sitting there for a while. We'll see what happens. And so as Paul begins to open this passage up to us, he, he says... Really, we're just supposed to mirror Jesus. All the human examples, and we're all blessed to have them. I I pray that for the most part, someone could say, you know, I, I try and follow Pastor Jeff because he follows Jesus. And the same should be able to be said about you. And in fact, he's already said for even if you had 10,000 others that would teach you, you only have one Christ. We only have one Jesus. He's just spent three chapters, basically the last three, speaking about our Christian liberty. It's going to be an interesting evening, I can tell. I apologize. Whenever you fly long distance on planes, especially when you go to a foreign country, they recycle the air in that plane. So when you're in there for eight hours or so, God only knows what you'll get. <laughs> Amen? 
All right, thank you for being patient. And so as, as believers, Jesus is the real example, the true example, the one example. Philippians chapter 3 reminds us there in verse 17, join with others in following my example as I follow Christ. First Thessalonians tells us the exact same thing. We're to be mirror images of the Lord. Paul would write to Timothy, and he, and he speaks there. He says, in me, display these qualities as I display Christ to you. Imitate me. Imitate Jesus. We have here what I call a strange passage alert, so I'll, I'll share it with you. So what's up with these next 14 verses anyway? Rather like my cough. What's up with that? But does imitating Paul, who's imitating Christ, really mean that you can't wear hats in church? That if you have, you're here tonight and you're a man and you have a ponytail, sorry, but you're going to perish and burn eternally. That if you're here tonight and you're a woman and you have short hair, oh dear. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Yeah, and Paul gives us some instruction. I, I, I have gone through so many generations of this, speaking with, especially with kids who think that now they're, you know, they're really going to grow in their relationship with the Lord, and so they want to be holy, and so the first thing they do is if you're a woman, you go out and buy granny dresses and a bonnet. <coughs> and if you look hideous, you're more, more holy. That is not what the Lord's getting at here. In other words, you're not a holy hat haters club. But the Apostle Paul is making, making a reference to the culture at the time. He's not trying to divide the church over a petty issue. Anthony was wearing a hat. And while some of you probably are looking at him going, no, that's kind of strange. Uh, he actually loves the Lord Jesus. So, Amen. I, I always talk to people, because I've, I've had people confront me on it. It's like, you know, you have people on your worship team that wear hats. And I say, yep, we do. Well, you know the Bible says you can't do that. And I said, no, it doesn't. It says in the culture and in the context that there was something very specific going on in Corinth, and the culture and the context of this was irreverence. The culture and the context of this was if you did the things listed here in Corinth, people would think something about you and it would be very unflattering to the Lord Jesus. And so he's teaching them respect. He's teaching them respect for the church. He's teaching them respect for the people that are in the church. He's teaching them respect for the Lord. And so he says, but I, don't, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man Almost sounds like God's misogynistic, doesn't it? Again, not what he's saying. He's trying, to, he's trying to point to the original design of creation. And so as we try and imitate Christ, we're not to be imitators of the world. We're not to be imitators of carnality. We're not to be imitators of things that people could look at and mistake whether we're believers or not. You get the point? In other words, he's really saying, look, it's not about the hat, it's about what's in the heart. 
It's about what's in the head. It's what you believe and how you present that to the world. So if I were to come in wearing something that was grossly inappropriate in our culture because it would make you think something about me other than the fact that I'm a believer, that would be an issue. I'm afraid in our culture it's going to take more than a hat to do that. Amen? I don't care whether it's a ball cap or what, you know, whatever. But God is speaking in a, in a culture and in a time through the Apostle Paul. And so he simply says, the world had crept into the church. And so we, want, we wanted to remind them who was the head of the church. Who was the head of the church? Exactly who he told them the head of the church was in verse 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. We're to make Jesus the head of the church. The word actually here in the, in the Greek language uh, actually it gives us a picture uh, of the source of life, in other words. The source of life to the church is Jesus, amen? If he doesn't die on Calvary's cross, there is no Christianity. There's no eternal life. There's no going to heaven. So Jesus is that source, and it's not about who's on top or who is subservient to the other. And in fact, Paul, when he wrote to the church at Galatia, in chapter 3, he actually goes so far as to say there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, and there's no female, for you are all one in Christ. So he's not talking about someone being subservient to somebody else, not male or female or Jew or Greek. He's talking about us having one head, and that head is Christ. You see, a woman's original existence... All he's saying is the woman was actually taken out of the man. Adam was created first. And so this is the order that God established. It's not making a woman less than a man. It's just simply saying that you came out of Adam. Very often we we take these things and we turn them into something that become doctrine in the church. So if a woman wears a hat... That's a problem. If a man has long hair, that's a problem. If, if someone's dress isn't the proper length, that's a problem. The only time it becomes a problem is when people can't, for a fact, say, you're a believer in Christ. I, I can tell you, I've seen people wear suits, and I can tell you where to find them. They're on the corner of Normandy and PCH, and they're wearing suits, and there isn't a thing Christian about what they're saying because they're holding up signs that says everyone in this intersection is going to hell. They're giving people the wrong impression about Jesus. And so, oh, they look great. Nice shiny shoes, wonderful tie, shirt and coat. But about those kind of people, Jesus said, just a whitewashed sepulcher inside his dead men's bones. And so in this order that God creates, he says, look, I want to be the head of everything. And I want you guys to follow along the way I've intended all along. And so he addresses this whole hat thing. And and notice how he does it. Verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For what is one and the same as if her head were shaved? 
So so Paul's basically talking about irreverence in worship. And here's the culture that was prevalent at the time. Remember where the Apostle Paul is. He's in Corinth. And so prostitutes in Corinth would shave their head. They would wear short hair. So if you were a temple prostitute specifically, your hair would almost be shorn. So a woman's hair was supposed to be long. It was considered her beauty, and if you shaved it off, it gave the people the impression that perhaps you were a prostitute. And for the men, they were to not cover their head because the hair of a man's head was considered the glory, and in fact, the angels looked down upon it. So for the people in Corinth, culturally, these things shamed the name of the Lord. And so he's not giving us instruction about what we are to do with hats today. And I want you to notice he uses the word prophesy, both for men and for women. I want to discuss that for just a moment. Because these women were not wearing a veil, which was normal for Jewish women, because these women were not wearing a shawl or a true head covering, which was normal for a godly woman, because these women... Uh, didn't have hair that was loosed and hanging down and covered part of their face, there was a misperception about who they were. And so it was making it so it was not conducive to worshiping the Lord. The men in the church, because they couldn't control their eyeballs, are looking at the ladies going, oh, yeah, I know who she is. So that's why the emphasis that Peter will make is the inner person of beauty. It's the modesty that we ought to have so that we don't stubble our brothers or our sisters. We were created in the image of God, the glory of God. And so he he wasn't making a legalistic command that everybody needs to, to dress a certain way. He was saying, look, the advice I'm trying to give you here is so that if you cause a disruption in the church and people are confused about who you are, whether you're a daughter or a son of God, whether you are a believer or not is the issue. And so if you do something or wear something, we, we can look at this in our modern context. I, I'm hoping that nobody is going to wear a sexually explicit t-shirt to church, amen? That would kind of send the wrong message. But how many of those are in our culture? You see them everywhere. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, would you not wear that t-shirt to church? Would, would you not wear the really short shorts? Would you not wear the really short? It, it's a cultural context. And we have to get this. Because otherwise, we're going to all go out and we're going to start shaving our hair a certain way. And we're going to start wearing hats or not wearing hats. And we're going to get stuck on hats and hair. And we need to be stuck on Jesus. If you balance these things out, what ultimately happens is if you take uh, a graceless legalist, someone who says, well, you know, the grace of God can't use anybody who wears a hat, then all of a sudden your standard is a human outward standard instead of a Christ-like standard that has its origin in heaven. And so he says, make sure you're concerned about the right things. You can also go the other way. We're not going to be doing communion with potato chips and Coke anytime soon, okay? Just saying. It's not happening. 
we're, we're going to continue to honor the Lord. There are certain things that within the context of being reverent before the Lord, that's the right thing to do. It's the, the bread and the cup. It's, it's not the chip and the bottle, okay? And again, that's, that's just simple reverence. That's, that's us honoring the Lord. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you, and he's going to discuss that next. That's what it represents. So we try as best we can to represent the bread. And we try as best we can to represent the cup. But here's where the legalists go. Well, what did the cup of Jesus look like? You know, oh, you don't use a goblet? I mean, is that sourdough or French you're using there? I mean, we all know that it was Passover matzah, so it's got to be, you know. And, and after a while, now it's about what kind of bread it is or what kind of cup it's in. So you see how you can go too far either direction. And so the Lord's simply saying, look, don't be a lawless libertine and don't be a graceless legalist. Land in the middle. These are not matters of salvation. Nobody is going to go to heaven or not go to heaven because they did or did not wear a hat to church, okay? Can I just tell you that? So if you start getting that way, you need to seriously consider the amount of grace that you have in your life. Because it's about hats. Maybe that person can't buy that particular hat. Maybe that person is, is, is not, maybe they, they have some type of skin ailment. And they don't want to cover their head. They need to have air. I don't know. And guys, by the way, just so you know, Underwear is called underwear for a reason. Leave it under. <laughs> Amen. Doesn't honor the Lord. It makes you look classless. You know, that type of thing. God is, God is classy. Amen. So we want to honor him with everything. Hit the middle. The next thing that I'm going to say, and I'm going to get in trouble, so I don't care, honestly. What about women teaching? (gasps) You know, we hear so many extreme views on this subject. And I want to just take just a couple of minutes because we're going to cover this in greater detail. But notice what the Apostle Paul is saying when your sons and your daughters, or when your sons or your men prophesy and your women prophesy, we have a tendency in the church to think of prophecy in exactly one way, and that is future tense. But the most common way that it's used in Scripture is not future tense at all. It is forthtelling that which God has already said. So when the prophets of old would speak to the children of Israel, where did they get the message? They got it from God, right? Where do we get the word of the Lord? We get it from the Bible, do we not? So the prophetic foretelling of what God has already spoken is also the gift of prophesying. So if you want to prophesy in someone's life, you just simply need to speak forth what God has already said in the situation that they're in. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, when the men say something that God has already said, and when the women say something that God has already said, we're we're talking about speaking for the Lord. And so it was very clear that both men and women did that. 
The only prohibition found in Scripture is that of the senior pastor or the pastor of the church, and that's just simply a headship issue. God made the man first, and then the woman, it goes through marriage. It's a central issue that makes it so that in the church, teaching authority over a man, a woman should not have. But teaching, absolutely women can teach in church. They do frequently and often. And I will tell you personally, me personally, I have gleaned a ton of biblical truth from some incredible ladies who are also Bible teachers. Don't be shocked. Kay Smith, my own bride, Connie. I listen to her study. Sometimes it's like, man, I never got that before. Kay Arthur, Becky Treblissi. Some ladies that I've, I've listened to, Anne Graham Lotz has a, has a whole teaching series that she does on a devotional life. It is by far and away the best I've ever heard. It's not even close. I have never heard a man teach on having a devotional life. And so you ladies can speak forth freely the word of truth. If you go on our website, let me tell you what you're not going to find. There's no disclaimer on the lady studies. If you're a man, please don't listen to this. You know why that is? Because speaking forth the word of truth is speaking forth the word of truth. We're not suggesting that the pastorship of the church should be turned over, but we are suggesting that biblical truth can be conveyed and often is conveyed by women just as effectively as it is by men. If you don't believe that, there's not a church on the face of the earth that if left to men teaching male children the word of God, uh, we would not have Sunday school for the most part. Amen? So be careful. You, again, Paul's saying, look, hit the neutral, the middle ground. He says, don't be a disgrace. Because I think way too much is made of these verses. Verse 6, for if a woman is not covered... Let her hair also be shorn. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. In other words, he's just simply saying, look, do what you need to do to make sure that you're acting appropriately for your culture. It's really kind of simple. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he's in the image and glory of God, but a woman is in the glory of man. And it's simply, again, reminding us of The man was created first, then the woman. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. And the moment we say that, it's like, oh, there he goes, Paul the misogynist again. Nor was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. That's a simple biblical truth. You you can read it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3. That's not a stretch. God saw Adam's loneliness and he said of Adam, it's not good that he should live alone. I will make a helpmate that is his completion comparable to him. He's just simply saying, look, I I made the design. I knew what I was doing. So we'll follow that. And in fact, this was new news. This was revolutionary. Because where women had been in this culture at this time, they were treated as property. 
They were no different than, than a camel in that sense. Women not only didn't have any rights, they were considered the property of their husband. And so this is actually a reversal of that. As Paul fleshes all these things out, both here in Corinthians and also in the book of Galatians, he's actually giving the dignity that God designed back to the woman. Say, look, you were created for a purpose. It's beautiful, wonderful. It's complementary to the man. The man is not superior to the woman. Guys, just so you know, you are not the king of your castle. Jesus is the king of your castle. And you better be careful how you treat your bride. You've been called to die to yourself and love her as Christ loves her. And I don't know about you, but I know how Christ loved me. So that means you crucify yourself for the sake of your wife. This is a beautiful picture of God's creation. What he was doing and how he was doing it. Genesis chapter 2, which we covered some time ago. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed the flesh in place. And the Lord God made the woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. It's just a simple thing. There's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. In essence, together, men and women as a nuclear family, as the beginning of a family, complete one another. There are things that my bride can do that I cannot do. And there are things that she can do that that I can do that she cannot do. There are things that she can do that I don't want to do. And there are things that I can do that she doesn't want to do. We honor that because God's word says that's the order of his creation. So women were not any longer regarded as inferior. Verse 10, for this reason the woman ought to have the symbol of authority over her head because of the angels. The head covering wasn't a sign of subjection, but a sign of the woman's willingness to be under the authority of God. It's like, look, I, I want God's best in my life, just as the men were to be under the authority of God. Exactly as Hebrews chapter 1 says, the angels watch over us. They're looking down on this. It's just a simple thing. It's not about church rules. It's not about church rules, family. It's about being pleasing to God. Amen? Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman or woman independent of man in the Lord. You understand what he's saying there? He's saying we need each other. And there's an awful lot of insanity going on in our culture right now. God's take on marriage is very, very, very clear. We need each other. You leave this world to all men, it's going to be a Lord of the Flies thing. We're gonna, we'll battle, we'll have, you know, we'll make our forts, we'll rule little countries and all, you know, we'll have, I'll like have my own country in Lomita. That's, guys are like that. There's a certain thing about us, the way that God has crafted our minds 
even the basic pathways of our thinking, while it's not universally true that every man feels the same way or thinks the same way, in a general sense, I'll ask you a simple question. Anybody in here have any idea how many women are buried at the cemetery in Arlington? You want to know? It's less than a 1,000. There's almost half a million men buried there. Why? Because men are crazy enough to go out and fight for their families. That doesn't mean you ladies couldn't do that. That means that God has crafted us in a different way so that if there's danger, we're running towards it in a general sense. True? For you ladies, if you leave us guys to raise the children, they will be cannibals. We don't nurture well. We, we kind of was like, oh, I'm sorry you broke your arm, but it'll look okay crooked. You'll just look tough. In a general sense, and again, please understand what I'm saying. In a general sense, there is a difference between men and women. How we think, how we see, the level at which we interject emotions into the, into the things that we do and say, there is a difference And anybody that can't see that is just plain blind. Men are not women, and women are not men. And so God's saying, look, I made you that way. Rejoice in it. As the woman came from man, so man also comes through the woman. Do you see it? Look, none of us guys are here without you ladies. Amen? We're not. Every one of us has a mom. There was a woman in our our history that brought us into this world. So you can't do it without us. We can't do it without you. We're supposed to be in this together and we each have our own role. And those roles are not necessarily set in concrete to where it needs to look like one way versus another way. But again, in a general sense, but all things are from God. Adam was created before Eve. Eve came from Adam. But all men since have been born from woman. It's this crazy, wonderful thing that keeps us appreciating each other. It keeps us desiring for each other's best. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about what it would be like if the world was just made of men or just made of women. It it would not be the same place. God knew what he was doing. He created the family with the right amount of nurturing and the right amount, I'm just going to this job. I hate it, but my family needs food on the table and I'm going. Now, it doesn't mean that you ladies can't do that. This means most men are actually wired that way. It's like, I'm going to go beat this. It's kind of like me and my cough. It's like, no, I'm not, no, he's not getting me. I'm going to stay up here and keep teaching. There's no man on this earth that doesn't have a woman to thank for carrying our silly little carcasses around for nine months. Amen? Just saying. And by the way, it wasn't easy either. And likewise, there's no woman on this earth that is not half genetically a man. Amen? You get the picture of what God's saying? He's saying like you're not into, you're not independent of one another you're interconnected because everything comes from god and he made us that way 
And as God creates those roles, as God creates those relationships, there has to be lines at some place of some kind of authority. But that authority is not based on superiority. Amen? It's not. No man on the face of this earth is superior to any woman on the face of this earth. We just have different roles. Those are God-designed, God-created roles. As God created us unique with complementary characteristics, he intends for us to follow that design. And when we get out of whack, it's not good. Amen? Case in point, what's going on in our world right now? It's not good. It is not good what's going on right now. The amount of social data, the amount of psychological data that's been amassed about children who live with a single parent and children who live with their biological parents and are raised in that environment, the difference between those two groups is like night and day. Why? Because we actually both add something to raising children. But we're trying, well, no, we can use two women or we can use two men. That's the reason that we've gotten into this place to where somehow we think that God was wrong and anyone who declares their affection to one another ought to be, get, be able to get married. No, God defined and God designed the marriage relationship to be one man, one woman for life. You can mess with it if you want. That's our right as free moral agents. But you're also going to be wrong. Because God designed it. He made it. And we need to stick to that design. Verse 13. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it dishonors him? But if a woman has long hair, it's glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering? He's simply saying, look, I, I created that. You ever noticed that in a general sense, that's universal across, pretty much across the, the world? Just in a general sense? He's just simply saying, look, we were created differently. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in it. Men should live and look like men. And women should live and look like women. Doesn't have anything to do with the length of your hair. Doesn't have anything to do with whether you have it or don't have it. It has everything to do with you being who God created you to be. And being very comfortable with that. Me, I couldn't grow hair if I wanted to. It's a lost cause. It's just over. But what we do know about the culture in Corinth is if you had long hair as a man, it was disgraceful. And short hair on a woman was equally disgraceful. We now are like, I I don't care if you don't have hair. I don't care if you have a bunch of hair. I'm kind of envious of people with any hair. So all of you are a step ahead of me. But we don't look at it in a cultural construct anymore. I'm not wondering, oh, your hair is short. I know what you are. Well, you can't tell anything by hair anymore. 
other than somebody's actually got some. And even that, you can't tell much anymore. Amen? Is that a weave? Are those plugs? We've even messed with that. So it doesn't matter. In essence, we should avoid splitting hairs. Amen? You know, I personally see Fabio and I go, wow, that's nice hair. But in Corinth, he would have been a male prostitute. It's that simple. So if you're honoring the Lord, wear your baldness proudly. If you're honoring the Lord, you got a ponytail, guys, flaunt it. Let it flop in the wind as you ride your, I don't care. Just be like Jesus. If people can't remember a thing about you, they should remember you love Jesus. They can't remember what you're wearing. They can't remember what your hair, whether it's long or short. That's why he says in verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. In other words, don't be contentious over these things. And yet, churches get contentious over this. I've walked into churches where, where's your head covering? How come your head is covered? Look, the long and the short of all of this is, for each one of us in this room, our main responsibility is to make sure that people know Jesus. That people know that we love Jesus. That he's the the central theme of our lives. Every moment of every day. It's not... It's not about the color of the building. It's not about whether we have pews or chairs. It's not about lights. It's not about whether we have electric guitar or we only go acoustic. You see, when you start caring about those things, pretty soon Jesus takes a back seat to that. I've actually worshipped in churches where the worship team isn't even visible. They're like in an orchestra pit. And again, I'm not so much mocking as I'm saying that's how far you can go. It's like, well, if somebody saw us and we're playing an instrument, it might, you know, it might take glory from the Lord. Look, none of us are so dumb to know that the music isn't being made by the stage, okay? So my point is this. All of those external things don't matter to God. He couldn't care less. He's not sitting around going, well, you know, I wish they wouldn't use the electric guitar. I wish the lights wouldn't move. It might steal the glory of God. Those things are so absurd to God because the thing he cares about is your heart. He's going, I can't believe they're haggling over lights and electric guitars when their heart's not right with me. So he's saying, imitate Christ. Let your heart be as his heart. Don't be contentious. Don't start silly customs. Serve the Lord your God. Amen? I want to bring the pastors up front. They'll be available for prayer. I'm going to cease talking. I apologize for my frogginess.
But it's not about one sex being better than the other. It's just simply about us being like Jesus. Amen? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the differences we have. Lord, I thank you for the differences we have in the beauty of how you've created all of us, Lord, that there's short and tall and, Lord, there's men and women, every tribe and tongue and nation represented in this body. And I really believe it's a picture of heaven. And so, Lord, help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Would you, Jesus, be front and center in our lives? Would we always remember that beyond all things, when we leave the room after we've spoken to someone, we pray that we leave behind the fragrance of Jesus, a triumph, Lord, for you. And so, God, we thank you for using us. We thank you that our lives count for something for your kingdom. Lord, do we have meaning and purpose? Help us to not focus on the silly things, but help us to focus on the main thing. And Jesus, that's you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.